Yo, Trey. Kevin, what's up, man? You know, I've been thinking, what would have happened if the NBA never vetoes the Chris Paul trade to the Lakers and we get CP3 in the same backcourt as Kobe in L.A.? Well, you get a very happy Jack Nicholson, for sure. And the Lakers probably win a bunch more championships. CP3 finally gets a ring or two or three. And the Kardashian empire is forever altered. What did you just say? Hey, everybody, I'm Trey Wingo. And I'm Kevin Frazier, and we're teaming up on a new weekly sports podcast from Wondery Alternate Routes. As former sports center anchors and current sports obsessives, we're consumed by all the what-if questions that make being a sports fan so excruciatingly fun. If you're like us, then you also live and die on the fallout from every drop pass. Or play call. Each week on Alternate Routes, we'll take a flashpoint in sports, break down what actually happened, then explore every alternate scenario and the ripple effects it would have caused. Follow Alternate Routes on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Swing and a drive, right field and deep. Back goes Aquino, it's got a chance, gone. Get out the tape measure, long gone. Fly the W! Cubs fans, it's time to fly the W with Dustin Rhodes and Paul Crawley Jean. You are listening to the Fly the W670 podcast. It's season two, episode 13. Wilson Contreras turns heel. Don't forget to listen, download, review, and most importantly, subscribe to our podcast. Follow us on all the socials. Fly the W670 on Twitter and Instagram and Fly the W on Facebook or email us at fly the W670 at gmail.com. I'm Dustin Rhodes, executive producer of the Mully and Haw Show. We are on weekdays from 5.30 until 10. Of course, 670 the score, your radio home for Cubs baseball. And as always, I'm joined by Crawley. Crawley, happy Sunday. Happy Sunday, but I'm fired up, Dustin. I'm fired up about Wilson's heel turn. I'll, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I don't think it's a huge surprise, but uh, some of the uh, some of the comments and some of the feelings might be a bigger surprise. Right. Uh, so if everyone remembers, obviously, uh, on December 7th, Wilson Contreras spends his entire 14-year career with the Cubs, signs an $87.5 million contract with the rival St. Louis Cardinals. And in my opinion, Dustin, when the news broke, Wilson seemed to say the right things, right? He thanking the Cub fan, excited about his role. You know, but for me, if you grew up watching professional wrestling, right, you know that you have the established good guy. They call it the baby face (laughs) or the face. And you have the bad guy, the heel. And in wrestling, when the good guy joins the dark side, that is known as a heel turn. And for me, after this weekend, Wilson has made that heel turn. We all remember Wilson's debut with the Cubs. Uh, he, he actually first came in June 17, 2016, in the ninth inning of a game. He came in and caught an inning. But his first at bat on June 19th, Wilson comes into the game in the sixth inning to pinch hit for Kyle Hendricks. And he hit a home run on the first pitch that he saw. Um, during that season, that magical season, remember, Wilson was a starting catcher in five out of the seven World Series games and appeared in six out of the seven games. Uh, he was a three-time All-Star for the Cubs in 2018, 2019, and 2020. Uh, we all know he played with his heart on his sleeve, and we remember that mammoth bat flip uh, home run after a home run against the White Sox, Dylan Cease, and the numerous run-ins he had with the Milwaukee Brewers pitching staff, <laughs> where he absolutely was a heel. Um, and after the 2021 trade deadline fire sale, which saw core players like Anthony Rizzo and Chris Bryant and Javi Baez traded out of Chicago, Wilson became the face of the franchise, right? Uh, I mean, we had a lot of great memories with Wilson, you know? Tons of great memories, right? He'll always be, as uh, someone put it, my backstop, if you will. Um, but I, I, I hold judgment on that as we see how um, crazy he gets over this Cubs-Cardinals uh, rivalry. Yeah, and despite everything he did, all his accomplishments, there were always kind of some grumblings in the background. And when the wheels started falling off the Cubs in 2021, uh, and all of a sudden the team just went in a deep skid after that combined no-hitter, um, there was a game after uh, where Wilson ripped his teammates after the game. It was a 6 nothing loss to St. Louis of all teams. And it was their 13th loss in 15 games. And Wilson said, quote, It's really hard, especially when you want to win. He speculated that everyone was off because they were distracted by the all-star break approaching Monday. We have to win as a team, but also I cannot ask everyone to play like I do or to play like Baez and I play. 
Everyone is different. I know they might be tired, but I'm here to win. I'm here to compete. And that's what I like to get from everyone else. I think there's a lot going on. There are a lot of things I'd like to say, but I'd rather keep it to myself than say it. And, you know, when he kind of signaled that him and Javi are trying and everybody else wasn't. Yeah, that's not a good that's not a good teammate. I mean, you can have that attitude inside the clubhouse and you can get after your teammates if you feel that way. But to bring that out publicly to the press, not a good look. And, and that's what David Ross said afterwards when he was trying to defuse the situation, which he said, I think what he said last night needs to be said in-house and not to the media. I think he understands that, and I think it was a good lesson, but I think good is going to come from it if that makes any sense. But I don't think good really did come from it, to be honest. I don't think he learned a lesson from that, Dustin. I don't think he thought he was wrong on that. Oh, he definitely didn't think he was wrong. No. I mean, maybe he learned that he shouldn't say that in public, but he definitely didn't, uh, he definitely didn't think he was wrong. Now, Wilson came into the 2022 season without an extension, and he made it clear numerous times that he wanted to stay with the Cubs. And as the Cubs played their last game before the trade deadline at Wrigley Field, Wilson and the Cub fans were both very emotional, obviously. And after the game before the trip, Wilson said, I wish this day never came, but it's about business. I understand that. I respect that. I love my team. I love my teammates most. I don't want to get too attached to them because you never know what's going to happen next week or this week even in San Francisco, but it's been a tough couple days for me. But if you remember him and Will's, him and Ian Happ hugging each other in the uh, dugout, neither of them were traded. Now, we did find out later that the Cubs and Astros had agreed on a one-for-one -one trade with the Astros for starting pitcher Jose Urquindy at the deadline, but that was shot down by Houston owner Jim Crane and partially because of Dusty Baker didn't want to add someone new to the mix, especially someone that didn't know the pitching staff, right? Right. And so Another reason not to like Dusty Baker, I guess. Always, yes. I don't even need any more reasons, but we'll put it in on the list. Now, Wilson would finish the game with the Cubs. He gets one last standing ovation on the last game of the season. I was there. Writing was on the wall. The Cubs gave him the qualifying offer, one year, $19.65 He turns it down. And this is where we get into the, the free agent market. We know that there were three teams that offered Wilson the long-term contract he was looking for. The Cardinals, the Astros, and a mystery team. And Wilson chose to sign with the Cardinals. And at the time, Dustin, you and I covered this extensively on this podcast. I thought it was because the Cardinals would offer Wilson more playing time as an everyday catcher since the Astros already had one in Martin Maldonado and St. Louis needed to replace Yadi Molina after his retirement. Dustin, you said that you thought he was trying to get back at the Cubs. And I'm like, no, 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 no. Now yeah. I'm starting to question myself, Dustin. Yeah, I think he definitely, you know, we talk about it all the time on the show, players using outside elements to motivate themselves to play. And there is no doubt that he can use his um, getting, you know, in his mind, short changed by the Cubs. And he wants to go down to St. Louis and he wants to have as many opportunities to play the Cubs and to show the Cubs that, hey, you guys messed up. I'm the man, and you don't have the man anymore. And now I am, as uh, one guy, uh, I'll leave his name out of it, said, now you know he fancies himself as being on the right side of the Cubs-Cardinals rivalry. I'm glad you bring that up. Now, Wilson is not the first Cub to switch to, from the Cubby Blues to the Cardinals Red. No, uh, no. Obviously, Lou Brock, that was a trade in the 60s. Jose Cardinal and Bruce Suter in the 70s. People forget Rick Sutcliffe did, too, in the 80s, and Lee Smith. Um, he, but Wilson wasn't even the first member of the 2016 team to cross over to the dark side. Dexter Fowler chose there, signed a big free agent contract, very similar to Wilson's contract. And John Lester was traded there to end his career. Most of the players, though, say the usual baseball tropes, right? I'm just happy to be here. I want to help the team whichever way I can. And the player you mentioned, Ryan Terrio, did encourage the Do we have to mention his fans. name? Do we have to mention his but name? You can't quiet the riot, right? Um, he incurred the wrath of Cub fans when he joined the Cardinals and said, I'm finally on the right side of the Cubs-Cardinals rivalry. And so, like I said, Dustin, you know, I read the article that Wilson put out in the Players' Tribune where he thanked the team and all the great memories and the organization and how he was looking forward to, you know, helping his new team. It, it, it was vanilla. I didn't see anything bad when he did that in the Players' Tribune. But shortly after that, a bunch of things kind of start to come out after that. One was an article from St. Louis beat writer John Denton. 
And it tells the story. We all heard it before. And Wilson had brought it up how he was injured on September 4th, but traveling with the team. He was recovering from that ankle injury from the Field of Dreams game. And he was there when uh, Albert Pujols hit his 695th career home run against the Cubs. Oh, never mind. Uh, career home run, not against just the Cubs. But, um, you know, he's about how much he liked how Yachty and Pujols were embraced and celebrated, which had me wondering, well, wasn't he embraced and celebrated here by the fans? Like, how is that? I don't know. Yeah, um, I mean, he, 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 had, he, he can't be mad at the, the Cub fans. Right. And so after the game was over, that game, apparently Yadi Molina autographed a jersey for Wilson, a, a Cardinals jersey, and had a note on it and had a clubby deliver it to Wilson. Okay. And on that article, it said, this is, or on the, um, on the jersey, it said, this is my last year. You are the future. And he sat there and he told his agent, I know the money might be more in other places, but if you can make it happen with the Cardinals, I want to be part of that. And so I don't know if there's any tampering rules in baseball. I've never thought of it, but okay. Well, not, from play, not from player to player, I don't think, right? That's right. More just, that's more just <laughs> recruiting, right? But that's another thing. Wilson's the type of guy who, you know, eats that stuff up. He loves when somebody wants him. So right. that's why that makes all the sense in the world. Right. And 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 from coming from your idol and getting that jersey that says that, I mean, it was very clear that he wants to go. Now, this tweet just came out recently from beat writer Brandon Schlafer. It said, chatting with Cardinal fans at a local Juniper eatery. Obviously, the Cardinals uh, do their spring training out there in Florida. They regaled over hearing a fan tell Wilson Contreras they were sending a photo of him to their Cubs fan friend who would cry upon seeing it. As the story goes, Wilson replied, they're going to be crying for a long time. It's like wrestling, like you mentioned earlier. I mean, this is it's like script writing. It's exactly that's exactly what I would expect to hear from Wilson Contreras. Exactly what I would expect to hear from. And on Saturday, Ken Rosenthal of The Athletic dropped a story titled Wilson Contreras Determined to Silence the Critics with Cardinals. The article is full of anonymous quotes, angry responses from Wilson. And as I said before, it is clear that this has become personal to Wilson. And so Rosenthal writes, Contreras' approach occasionally frustrated Cubs manager David Ross, a former catcher, and the team's coaching staff, according to sources with knowledge of the situation who are granted anonymity to speak candidly. Contreras prepared. He worked hard, but he did not always prepare and work the way the coaches wanted. So that's kind of a complaint that the staff. So he's had. not. He, he was. He was uncoachable, right? I always. That, I always thought that there was always a, an issue between Ross and Contreras, and that goes back to the playing days, right? It, it's. Um, you know, I'm sure Contreras was upset any day that he wasn't able to catch, and that David Ross was catching, and uh, I'm sure those guys were competing with each other. And and I think that that with David Ross, there was a way that he expected people to act and behave around the clubhouse. And I think that that didn't rub exactly with Wilson's way of doing things. And so Wilson replied to that and he said, listening to those things, it's really tough. I was there for six years. I prepared myself the same way every day. I think I did everything right. That's what I told the Cubs the day I walked out of there, that I was going to walk out with my head held up high because I knew during the six years I was there, I did my best to make everyone better. Right. And so I don't know. You know, he, he talks about the problems of last season and, and kind of the difficulty and, and with the new pitching staff. And he said, people don't really know what happened here. I had to adjust to the pitchers. I didn't want them to do whatever I thought was right. I had to let them be myself. I didn't want to be a dictator, tell them what to do. A lot of times I'd rather they figure out things for themselves. So it looks to me like the Cubs had an approach that they wanted Wilson to take with those players. Wilson would kind of go off script. Okay. And so I think that to me, when, when, when they have this idea of what they expected Wilson to do, and all of a sudden in the game, that's not happening. I can tell you from what I know that the Cubs are very diligent in their preparations on their game planning. This goes back to the Mike Borzello days. Um, when, when, when he was an important part of kind of setting up the game plan for the pitchers and catchers. Chris Young's a big part of that. Tommy Hadovy's a big part of that. So they have a plan. So if Wilson was kind of going off that plan, I think that that's 
was obviously a clear issue. Oh, there's no, there's no doubt about it. <laughs> there's no doubt about it. And so what we know as a fact and what we talked about on the show is, is that, you know, uh, the ERAs for most of the players were not as good when Wilson was behind the plate and they had a lot more success with Wilson, with uh, Jan Gomes. Jan Gomes, right. Yeah. Right. And so that, you know, from the, you know, unanimous source, anonymous sources that you're looking here, you know, that kind of was it right there is a prominent reason why it is believed that the Cubs were eager to part with Contreras as a catcher was due to the way he handled the team's pitching staff. And so they figure that the num the pitchers are going to be much better with Gomes and Barnhart than they were with Wilson behind the plate. So I don't know, Dustin, I, I feel like he, you know, with Wilson, a lot of what he's saying, he, he's fired up. He wants to beat the Cubs. Oh, there's, there's not a, there's not a shadow of a doubt. He wants to beat the Cubs. Um, you know, the other thing is, I wonder if any of the new rules that are coming in this year, if that had partly to do with Wilson Contreras, not being in the Cubs plans, maybe, um, may, maybe none of the pitchers, you know, were going to bat for lack of a better term for Wilson Contreras. Maybe all the, all the pitchers told the Cubs staff, you know, as they talk, that they'd rather not throw to him. And so that would be really damning, right? I mean, if all the pitchers are against you, why would the organization keep you around, especially at the price point that he wants to be paid at? Right. Now, as far as the new rules, that did, I was, I am curious about that because one of the biggest new rules that we talked about on the last podcast is the uh, pitch clock and the disengagement. You can't keep stepping off the rubber. Right. And you can't you can only throw over twice. Right. So what was Wilson's strength as a catcher? He wasn't that good of a game caller. He was a bad framer or a a below average framer. Let's just put it that. But his strength was his arm. Okay, And with the running game, apparently going to be playing a much bigger part in, in what they're trying to do in baseball. Wilson could be a huge asset. And the other thing that Wilson was always very good at was that back pick. Right. So Excellent at the back pick, right? Yeah. Let's say that you, you know your your pitcher is thrown over twice. Well, you know the runner then is going to try to take the biggest lead he can because the pitcher can't throw over anymore. I don't know, and I think we probably need to get some clarification on this. If the pitcher disengages twice, we know he can't throw over anymore. He can, but he has to get him out, otherwise it's a balk, right? But what about the catcher? Can he throw to first? Interesting question. Yeah. That's a good right? question. I'm going to have to ask somebody about that. Yeah. So, so you know, the pitcher can't throw over anymore unless he risks a walk, but that's not – so that's going to make the back pick an even more important move is to be able to shoot down there so that, you know, who knows. It, but, but I think it's going to be a big part of it. The other thing about the rules that people are wondering is when there is going to be the automatic ball and strike system. Uh, we talked about how on the in the fall league they had the challenge system. So it wasn't an automatic ball strike system, but rather, you know, you could challenge balls and strikes and there would be a video review and it happens really quick on the Jumbotron, less than less than 20 seconds it took, roughly. So uh, I would say that I don't think they're going to get rid of umpires anytime soon, in my opinion. I don't think, I think balls and strikes are going to continue to be called by umpires. I don't think they're going to go with robot technology. Yes, you have your bad umpires. I'm looking at you, Angel Hernandez, um, you know, as, as Mongo McMichael would say. But, you know, um, I, I would say that most we, we saw it right. Most of the umpires do pretty good. You know, they're pretty darn accurate. And, and, and we talked about how umpires that are the best need to be rewarded and get the best assignments in the postseason. Right. Um, I think that those umpires make the game, you know, they call the game pretty accurate, like 96, 97% accuracy, which is not bad. And if you have that uh, challenge system where the, remember, only the pitcher, the catcher, or the hitter could call it, right? Could call for it. It's immediate. You have to tap your helmet and then they check and that's it. And you only have a couple per game. So my opinion is, is that's going to stay. So framing is still going to be a part of the game, in my opinion, at least for the next three years. I don't think it's going anywhere. After three years, I'm not sure. Yeah, so, it's going to take some time. Right, no doubt about that. I, I, you know, And you saw what they did. All the new rules that they put in, they tested in the minor for at least a year. And with the technology needed for that automatic strike zone, I think they are already trying it. But before they implement it into, implement it into the majors, they're going to want to implement it to the full minors. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think it's a few years away. So I am, I'm, I'm, 
I am I'm still undecided. I, I said I would never boo Wilson, which I'm not going to when he comes for his first game with the Cardinals. I will cheer him being a member of the 2016 Cubs. And remember, if the Cubs wanted, they could have kept him. That's what Wilson wanted. Um, it was the Cubs that chose not to sign him. So there is that part of me that kind of keeps that in the back of my head. But at the same time, if he's going to be talking a lot of smack about the Cubs and the Cubs organization, I'm going to have my limits, Dustin. Right. Now, we brought we talked about this on the Mullion Haw Show last week. I mean, obviously, they're going to have to give him a video tribute when, when they come to town. Um, obviously, people are going to decide whether to, um, you know, clap or boo him, stand up or not. I, I had said, I think, at this moment, I would stand up probably with a beer in my hand, and I would raise my glass of beer to him. That, that's what I would do. I wouldn't boo. I wouldn't necessarily cheer out loud. But um, he definitely still has the respect. And after watching all those videos in that montage, that might get me to, you know, raise the glass even a little bit higher. Well, I think we put this out to our listeners, Dustin. We'll, we'll put a poll question out and, and we can ask Cub fans how they feel and how they're going to react when Wilson has his first at bat as a member of the evil St. Louis Cardinals. Evil. <laughs> I love it. Evil. You're listening to the Fly the W670 podcast. This is season number two. It's episode 13, and Wilson Contreras turns to the heel. That's the uh, title of this segment and this episode. And we don't want you to forget to listen, download, review, and most importantly, subscribe to the Fly the W podcast. As pitchers and uh, catchers are reporting, we uh, also, last week, Crowley, we had our... uh, Pakoda predictions. So in this segment, you're uh, having to sit down with Craig Goldstein, editor-in-chief of Baseball Prospectus, about Pakoda projections and why they say the Cubs will only be able to fly the W 77 times this year. Joining me now on the Fly the W podcast, I'm happy to have on Craig Goldstein, editor-in-chief of Baseball Perspectives. Craig, you're not the most popular guy right now. How are you doing? I'm used to that, believe it or not. Uh, thank yeah, yeah. Thanks for having me on. I'm doing pretty well. How are you? I'm doing great. And and we were joking around a little bit beforehand that you know, you guys put this out, and it is a projection. You're not saying that you have a crystal ball. It's just for fun, and you're putting this out here, and it just it's fun for guys like me and, and talk radio and sports talk and social media to just kind of get the conversation going, right? Yeah. I mean, look, it's for fun. It is also, we take it very seriously. We put a lot of time and effort into it. We want to be right. Uh, We, we take when we're wrong, which people, you know, they tell us and and they'll know uh, we are wrong. Um, They let us know and and we take it seriously. We look at it. We look at the reasons why we're wrong, not just that we're wrong. Uh, There are aberrations, but those also are an excuses to, you know, to miss repeatedly, which, you know, there are teams I, I was just on, uh, Cardinals uh, radio recently. They they note that we often underrate them, and they're right. And and there are reasons we're looking into it. We're having discussions about why that's happening. I have some theories, things like that. So we really want to get it right. And it's not. I mean, it is for fun. So you know, we, we're lucky enough to do this uh, to do this job on a sport that's very fun and that we all love. But we also want it to be right. So it's it's a little bit in between. You know. Right. Craig, do me a favor. When you find out why the Cardinals keep overshooting their projections, would you please let us Cubs fans know so we can uh, pass it along to Jed Hoyer? Um, (laughs) I I actually think Jed is is trying to do a little bit of what of what they do to be. So my theory on the Cubs, I mean, on the on the Cardinals very briefly is is that. uh, Our our metric uh, deserved run average, which we which is very good uh, as an overall metric really dislikes Cardinals pitching. And part of that is they don't strike a lot of guys out and they're not, some of them are very good at avoiding walks, but not all of them. And so they have a lot of balls in play and they have an elite defense. And and obviously we project and rate their defense, uh, you know, well, but they really do a lot of long-term any metric that, that cares about how well a pitcher is doing specifically just a pitcher, not his defense is going to say, if you let a lot of balls in play, you're you're risking something, and and that's gonna you know you're gonna regress over time if you if you've had superb results on balls in play. The Cardinals keep producing these great defenses, right? And so they turn a lot of these balls and plays into outs, and so the pitchers overshoot the projections, that kind of thing. And I, I think you can look at what the Cubs 
focused on this offseason and see a little bit of that going on, right? There's a there's a focus on defense here. Definitely a pattern. Now, now for our listeners, I tried my best to explain Pakoda. Why don't you kind of give it a shot as far what Pakoda does and what it is? Yeah. So it, it projects each individual player. I actually, I, you know, I listened to your explanation. I think it was, it was really right on. It, it projects each individual player. And from, from that, we allot playing time using our depth charts team. Now that's people. Uh, that's, that's not uh, a projection system uh, assigning playing time. That's a, a group of people that we have that looks at each roster and makes adjustments. We, we make adjustments every day. If you go check our uh, Cubs depth chart today, Edwin Rios is on it. He wasn't there when these came out, you know? So that, that changes every day based on injury news, based on playing time battles, spring training. There's a lot of, there's a lot of updating going on this time of year. Right. Uh, and if, if you want to look at uh, Aaron Ashby, we just, for the, for the just in the in the division, we reduced his playing time quite a bit with the news that his shoulder is not you know not progressing as they had planned. Uh, so so that's just an example, but we assign playing time based on that, and then we project out what the what the projections say for a player on a rate basis. Apply the playing time we have allotted to them, and we get you know a wins above replacement. We factor in defense, we factor in base running, uh, we factor in hitting. Obviously, uh, from the pitching side, it's 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 strikeouts, it's walks, it's, it's all of their stats, ground ball rate, that kind of thing. Uh, and, and defensively, we, we look at, again, not only we look at their range, we just un unveiled a new range uh, metric last or two weeks ago. Um, we look at how good they are at throwing guys out from the outfield. We look at how many guys don't advance on balls. So if you're, you know, it, this is the Yadi Molina problem. If no one runs on Yadi Molina, you know, how good is he at throwing out bases? But he's got a lot of value if no one runs, right? right? So like we factor all of that kind of stuff in, you package it up and it ends up in wins above replacement player, warp our metric. And so we project that out. And then we look at the schedule you know, new balance schedule, who are you playing? How do the teams that you're playing project? And we run a thousand simulations. I, I know who, uh, your, your co-host you were talking to said, how, how do we end up with, you know, 74.7? Well, we do a thousand simulations. And so it's, it's just a straight average of all of those simulations. And we run them every night. So they change every night. Um, and, and because they're simulations, they're going to change a little bit every night. But broadly speaking, they stay about the same. Yeah, Dustin doesn't like math. I, I tried to explain. <laughs> I tried to explain. It's just the computer that spits it out. It doesn't factor in, you know, half games and and whatnot. So as we looked at Pakoda last year in 2022, it had Milwaukee in 93 wins, roughly, and uh, 94 wins. St. Louis at about 80 wins, 81 wins, and then uh, Cincinnati 79, Chicago at 70. You kind of briefly touched a little bit on why. St. Louis, because St. Louis, if you look at the final yeah. standings, really overshot by a lot, yeah. by about like 13 games. Um, the Cubs, you know, obviously, you know, you have to factor give or take a couple games when you look at these projections. But but for the Cubs, uh, you know, when I take a look at uh, Milwaukee, 86 and 76, what do the Cubs what did the Cubs do last year that helped them shoot over their projection? So I, I think it's a few things. Uh, I think they had some pitchers come up and, and, and I think their pitching development is actually really pretty interesting right now. They've definitely worked with a few relievers uh, that that I think have progressed really well. And, and also their starters. I think you look at uh, Justin Steele, who is actually projected for the highest work among the rotation uh, for us this year. I think he came up and did, you know, th there's some things that he his control is not the greatest. There's the walks there, but he misses a lot of bats, which our system really likes. I think if you look at, um, he, you know, Keegan Thompson as well, he, he came up and performed really, really well. Uh, our, our, our projection for him is not so great. I think, again, that's if you look at walks, uh, what Steele does really well is obviously keep the ball on the ground and anything that prevents home runs is going to be rated really highly by our, our, both our metric and our projection system. And they're actually two different, two different things there. Uh, so I think getting big time contributions from guys like that is, is a really big factor on what they were able to do uh, to overshoot the projection a little bit. But as you said, like you give a few games here and there, uh, as Harry Pavlidis said, who's, who's based in Chicago for us, he's, he's uh, on, on the stats side of things for us. We really give like basically a six game pillow, which is each, kind of a lot, but you're also, it's a 162 game season and you're starting before anything happens and you have teams and the Cubs were one of them, for example, they might've overshot this by more had they not dealt away 
a, a number of players at the trade deadline. And, you know, you take a team like St. Louis, they added at the trade deadline. Uh, I think they were only five games over 500 when they made that trade. They obviously, those trades, they obviously finished well over that. Um, and, and we can't know who's going to do what, when, right? We, we don't have those movements planned out in advance. And you can't even build in an excuse to say like, well, they'll probably add someone. And, you know, doing it like that just doesn't really work. So we're always going to miss uh, a, a fair bit. But I, I think on the pitching side, that is really where I think uh, the Cubs shined for the most part last year in terms of overperforming the projections. I, I did not look, but that that's my guess. Yeah. Now, now Milwaukee undershot, and you're talking about trades and, and trading Josh Hader away to San Diego. I mean, that's very clearly going to affect their win-loss totals at the end of the year. I don't think anybody saw that one coming. There's that. And, and I also want to point out, like with our Cubs, with, uh, sorry, with our Brewers projections, people have noticed with the Brewers, we tend to rate them very highly. And, and that's not any sort of like intentional bias on that. It's that they pick players that align really well with what our metrics value. Uh, so, or I shouldn't say, but they have players. Corbin Burns doesn't walk guys, strikes a ton of guys out. Our metric, and, and he's one of the best pitchers in baseball, our metrics adore Brandon Woodruff and Corbin Burns and even Freddie Peralta. But the thing is with really everyone in that group, except for Woodruff, there are some health issues. Burns has missed time. Peralta has missed a bunch of time. And so a lot of these misses too are on depth charts. And, and I'm not trying to put our depth charts team down. I think they do an incredible job. Or you look at Jason Martinez over at Fangraphs. All of these guys do an incredible job. But you can't predict. I mean, predicting health is, is almost folly. But we have to do our best with it, right? And so knowing who's going to be healthy, who's going to rack up the playing time, and who's not. And I, and I think... You know, again, if we want to bring this back to the Cubs, bringing in someone like Dansby Swanson, who's missed two games over the last two seasons or uh, you know, last three seasons, it, you know, that's a big deal when you're building a team, right? You can count on him being there. And so we've we've always had these issues with how do you project Jacob DeGrom or, you know, again, this guy is the best pitcher on in baseball when he's pitching, but you don't know when he's going to pitch. So, you know, those are always on some level guesses. They're informed guesses, uh, but they are guesses. And they're always going to be wrong in some capacity. And so I think those those are often where we miss as well. Right. And so when we look at this year's projections, and we talked about it on our last show, Milwaukee and St. Louis, uh, roughly about the same, 80, let's say 88 wins, and the Cubs at 77 wins. And so that was kind of some of the questions, uh, you know, that we had for you is that when we looked around the diamond um, and, and factoring in especially defense more and offense, both of them, it looks like they upgraded every position other than third and, and in the infield and center field. And so when we look at that, it's just scratch your head. Like, how does that only add up to three more wins? But one thing that you did bring up earlier is the, ba- the new balanced schedule of having to face every team in the majors. How big of a factor is that going to be this year? It's definitely a factor. We've done some some writing. Rob Maines on our site has done some writings reviewing, I think, two of the, the divisions. Uh, I, I think the, the Easts and the, the Centrals uh, in both leagues on kind of how much they're impacted. I, look, in general, the Centrals in the, in the AL and in the NL have been a little bit weaker uh, on, a, on a talent basis um, compared to the, the Easts and the Wests, at least on the top tier, right? Um, and, and that's because, you know, the, it hasn't always showed up in win totals, but it has kind of in, in a little bit more subjective valuations, or even when you're looking at war and, and, and stuff like that. Um, so I, I think there is a, a little bit of a downside. The, the centrals are kind of the most negatively affected. It's not, it's not a massive amount though. I mean, the, you know, we look at these teams are all going to get, you know, okay. So they have less games against Pittsburgh and, and this year, Cincinnati, uh, that's that's a loss. But they also are going to play kind of the bottom tier of other divisions uh, in, in times that they wouldn't. So you're not losing all those games necessarily against bad teams. You're, you're just losing a few. Uh, that's certainly part of it. I, I think the big thing I would note is Pakoda or any projection system is not going to look at the record last year and project an improvement or, or – um, or, you know, a step back regression. It's just going off the, the projected war, essentially. Uh, the, the, again, there are, there are park factors. There, there, are, there is the schedule. There's all of that. And, and there run simulations. But we're not looking at is they were 74 wins last year. 
are it's only a three game improvement. Again, we we projected them to be 70 wins last year. And so from projection to projection or 71, I guess if we round up. Uh projection to projection, it's a six game improvement. Now, again, we were we were low last year. It's possible we'll be low again, but it's not meant to be a direct comparison to what actual record they finished at last year and that type of improvement. And, and I understand why people will do that. It's a natural thing to do, but we're, that's not the baseline we're starting with. We're starting from scratch and, and projecting that improvement. So that, that's, one, that's probably the biggest thing I want to stress is that we're not trying to say, oh, all these moves only add up to a three-game improvement. It's it's really just this entire team adds up to we're projecting a, a, you know around a seventy seven win team, right? And so let, let's go back to the Cardinals. You say that you guys tend to underrate them, or you know every year, and, or, or they overshoot their project uh, projections. One of the things that we've had to deal with for many many years is Yadi or Molina, <laughs> and I always felt that Yadi is a guy that his true value doesn't show up in projections or the stat sheet and how he handles a pitching staff. Now the Cubs are going to go, you know, are not going to have Wilson anymore. He goes to the Cardinals. The Cardinals don't have uh, Yadier Molina anymore. So I'm very curious as to how the Cardinals pitching staff, they're, they're always, they always seem to do the fundamentals right. And so I think that is what helps them overshoot their projections is when you look at it, they don't make a lot of fielding mistakes, a lot of base running mistakes, even if they don't have the best pitchers. And so you don't give a lot of team second opportunities that increases your odds of having a higher win total. What do you see as the, I'll call it the Yachty effect with Yachty leaving and Wilson, who his game calling skills have been called into question before. What effect do you think that's going to have on the Cardinals pitching staff? Yeah, I'm, I'm really interested to see, honestly, because, you know, the, the other way to, to look at this, and I'm not, I'm going to step away from the, the Cardinals really quick, but I promise it ties back, is that we, when, when you talked about the, where they improved, right, everywhere but, but center field, third base, but they, they really took a step, the Cubs took a step back at catcher, you know, maybe not defensively, uh, you know, and I'm not trying to throw shade at Tucker Barnhart, but in general, Wilson Contreras, as a package of, of you know, the sum of his parts, is a, is a really good player. That's why he got a lot of money in free agency, right? Um, and, and understanding that his framing is not particularly good. Now, we obviously value framing very highly. We've come up with that. Uh, we, we were one of the pioneers in, in assigning a value to framing, that kind of thing. We know Yachty does that really well. We know his, his ability to prevent runners from going, even if he's not throwing guys out just because of the threat uh, is, is incredible. You know, we value that as well. But as a whole, Wilson Contreras in our projection still represents a significant improvement just because of how good his bat is. We present project him to be 20% better than league average as a hitter from the catcher position. The catcher position in general is worse than the league average. Like every single catcher on average is worse than the, the, the average across the league, across all positions. So for him to be 20% better than the league across all positions as a catcher means they're getting incredible offensive production uh, production from that position. It's a really big deal. Now, to your point, this is a, this is a team that has thrived off fundamentals of uh, pitching succeeding. Again, they've, they've outpaced our projections multiple times. Um, I'm really interested to see how that plays out. I don't know. We think framing is incredibly, incredibly valuable. We've also seen it compress across the league over years as more and more catchers have gotten better at framing, even bringing that baseline up, even if, uh, you know, even if they're not as good as someone like Yadier Molina uh, at doing that. So I, I think that's going to be a negative for, for the pitching staff uh, for St. Louis. We'll see though, because ball, you know, balls in play, they're, they're deep. Nolan Arenado and Tommy Edmond are still elite defenders. Uh, Brendan Donovan's a very good defender. Paul Goldschmidt, a very good defender. Uh, some of what, you know, some of what we have in our projection for the Cardinals is Arenado and Goldschmidt were MVP level performances. Either one of them could have deserved it. Obviously one got it, but either one of them in my eyes could have deserved that MVP. We have them taking a step back from that. Still extreme, extremely, extremely good players and projects very well but they're going to take a little bit step back. That's part of what informs our projection. Uh, you know, it, it tends not to assume career years over and over. 
Now, when you talk about uh, defense and the moves that the Cubs made, obviously, yeah. you know, you got Nico, uh, Dansby Swanson at short, one of the best defensive shortstops. You, yeah. you move Nico, who had a very underrated year. I still can't believe that guy wasn't nominated for a gold glove, moving from short to second. And then uh, having, uh, you may want to talk about, you know, uh, Cody Bellinger out in center. So, I mean, maybe Jed, like you said, is looking at the Cardinal you know, the path that they've taken and trying to emulate that idea of run prevention. Yeah. I, I, I think that it's an old baseball adage to build your defense from the middle out. And if you look at what the Cubs did, they are improved defensively at catcher. There's no, no doubt about that. I, you know, I think it's a downgrade overall, but defensively much improved at catcher. As you said, Swanson, an elite defender. Again, we just had our, a new metric come out on this front. Uh, his range is about average, but he's one of the most elite players at executing what he gets to. And it, and it rates him as, I think, the, the second overall defender uh, at shortstop across the league last year. So, And, and I'm not trying to, to throw shade on him. Again, like this is just what the metric says. Uh, and he's, he's, again, what he gets to, it all turns into outs. He turns double plays really well. An elite defender at shortstop, as you said. Nico Horner, underrated last year. And I think you put him at second. I think his bat, you know, the, the bat profile is well there. Uh, the two of them up the middle are going to be really strong. And Cody Bellinger, look, I, I you know, I'm a, I'm a Dodgers fan. I got that in the background. Um, <laughs> I, I, you know, I love Cody Bellinger. It's been really rough offensively. I think he's a little bit underrated defensively, honestly. I, I think he, um, I, he really goes and gets it out there. I think people, I don't know if they'll be surprised at the athleticism, but if you're not watching him, you see this tall, lanky guy, he flies. He's really fast on the bases. He gets really good jumps. Uh, he's, he's really smooth out there, and that's not a big center field. And I think he's going to run a lot of stuff down in the gaps. I, so, I, you know, I didn't mind that move. It was To me, it was an expensive bit to, to pay. He got about what he was going to get in arbitration. Um you know, I, I'd love to see the bat come alive because the guy was, he was the MVP, you know, like he was that, that good, not that long ago. And he's gone through some injuries. He's had, a sh you know, the dislocated shoulder. He uh, was, there was a collision at first where he had a hairline fracture on his leg. His back has been a problem. Those are all concerns uh, if, if you're a Cubs fan, I think, but there are also reasons why he hasn't performed where he has uh, previously in terms of offense. So, but yeah, I, so again, up the middle, catcher, shortstop, second base, center field, really strong. And I think I don't have a problem with building a team that way. I, I actually like it. Again, it's an, it's kind of an old scouting adage that that's the way to do it. I think that's the focus. I The, the question I have when I'm looking at this team is like, are they going to get enough offensively out of those guys? Yeah, that's that's the big question we have over here, too, is where the run is going to come from. Where's the power going to come from? Um, the one question I really, truly had for you about Pakoda is, is how, obviously, there is a whole bunch of new rules just all of a sudden just kind of coming yeah. right on here. When you talk about the shifts, when you talk about a pitch clock, how many times you can disengage from the base, uh, the, the size of the base. How I mean, is there any way that you guys were able to include those things into the projections? So the, the thing that we were able to include into the projections was the, the essentially the pickoff rule. And, and we actually just had an article go up yesterday, Friday, on, um, on how, we, how we did that in terms of projections, in terms of stolen bases. And that is because we had some data from the minor leagues on, on how to factor that, that part in from AAA. Uh, there, were, there were leagues using that rule. And so we kind of changed how we project stolen bases and and i mean as you might expect with a pickoff rule you increase kind of the number of stolen bases there's a whole article on that i encourage people to read it because i'm not going to do it justice um in terms of the shift we we really have not factored that in and the way that we tend to do that is we look at the run environment of the previous year it is kind of our baseline and you know we're, we're going to see how it is i think we basically felt we looked at doing that and we basically felt uh, you got to get into more trouble, assuming, you know, making making these assumptions. And what we'll really do is look at how it turns out next year and see how that informs our analysis going forward. Uh, but it's it's just it's a little hard to know how it's going to play out because I, I think it's going to matter for some guys. The question is, can you isolate which individual players? It's not just all pole players. Uh, some guys, again, teams are still allowed to position pretty aggressively. It's just that you can't cross over. You know, you can't have three guys on one side of the bag. 
how much that's going to impact guys who pull the ball a lot. Anything that we do is really going to be uh, more of a guess than we were comfortable with ultimately. And so that's, that's why we didn't, we ultimately didn't do that. And we're certainly going to see some guys uh, make some, some, you know, outperform or underperform projections potentially uh, based on, on the, those kind of changes that, that we can't necessarily factor in right off the top. Now, Jed has been in Mesa and uh, he brought up, you know, he, the Pocota projections were obviously one and other, other group, other publications have their own projections. And, you know, it, it was kind of interesting because Jed said, I think we have a lot of players that have the potential to break out and exceed their projections with every guy coming yep. into spring. That has to be the goal. How do I make it to another level? How do I exceed my projections? That's how we get to where we need to be offensively. Have guys bounce back from years that they weren't as strong as they hoped. Young guys taking the next step. And a guy like Saya in his second year, we have a lot of guys who have a chance to take that step. And we probably need that to a certain extent. And I think that's about yeah. as spot on as you can get. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's totally fair. I, and look, I will say like, I think our projection of Saya hasn't taken that next step, next step. We, we, we really liked him coming over from Japan. I still really like him. Like he had that, he, he had a, a little bit of injury nagging him a little bit. I think it affected his performance. We project him for a 122 DRC plus that's deserved runs created. Again, that's on a scale. So 122 means 22% better than league average. That's a, that's a really good player. Uh, last year we had him at about 105 to 107. I, I, I'm going off the top of my head. I think it was 107, maybe. That's a big improvement, 15% uh, percentage points uh, from one year to the next. So I, I think we have him taking that next step. But what Jed is absolutely right about this is, not to get too into the weeds, but these are 50th percentile projections. So we do we do a lot of simulations. We project a range of outcomes, and this is this is the midline of all of that. If you download our Pocota spreadsheet, if you're a, a subscriber uh, for, for BP, your spreadsheet will show you first percentile, fifth, 10th, 20, 30, all the way up to 90, 95, and 99. These guys are going to perform somewhere along that spectrum, right? There are guys who are going to have a great season, and it will look a lot like what our 90th percentile projection was. That's performing at the kind of the top of your range, 90th, 95th, something like that. So he, he's absolutely right that some of these guys are going to well exceed our 50th percentile projections. That's just, that's how life works. That's how the sport works. Um, and you, you could argue that the Cubs have a number of guys that are well suited to take those steps and exceed their 50th percentile projection. But what, what I've found is, at least for me, maybe it's not everyone, but at least for me, I'm not always good at factoring in downside as much as I am upside. And again, that's kind of one of those things where it's like, do you factor in the step back from Wilson Contreras to Tucker Barnhart as much as you do the upgrade from Nico Horner at short and and a rotating cast of players at second to uh, Horner at second and Swanson at short? And the other part of it is, I, I would point out, is we really don't see Swanson replicating his his uh, incredible season last year. And and that's not to knock him. He Even by our metrics, he had a great season last year. But he's been pretty inconsistent in his career. And if you actually look from 2022 to 2021, he's basically the same guy on his on his slash line, average OBP slugging. What happened is the league offense, uh, the environment cratered around him. And all of a sudden, he's like 15 percentage points better than league average uh, year to year. You know what I mean? Uh, even though he's basically the same guy. So the question I have is, what is the league environment going to look like? Some of that's the baseballs, you know, some of the, you know, they seemed like they were a little bit deadened last year. You know, we'll, we'll see. We don't always know that, but in his, over his career, Swanson has not been as good an offensive player as he was last year. And Pakoda and our model takes into account uh, a significant number of a player's career, not just the most recent year. It does weight the most recent year, the most heavily, but, you know, all of those things factor into to something like this. And and the reality is, and the Cubs might be right, Swanson might be right, that he's actually just a better offensive player now than he has been over the balance of his career. And if he goes out and proves that, he's going to outproduce our projection. Well, Craig, I appreciate you hopping on, and I hope to have you on again next year around this time so we can see where everything all played out. Do me a favor. Tell me where our listeners can uh, find, follow you on social media and follow the work of Baseball Perspectives, which is one of the top tier as far as these publications are concerned. 
Thank you very much. I appreciate you saying that. Yeah, uh, you can find me on Twitter at CD Goldstein. Uh, I tweet a lot. So if you if you don't like it, no offense taken. Uh, <laughs> um, and, and find our work at baseballprospectus.com. Again, we have uh, we have annual subscriptions. We have monthly subscriptions. We also produce a book, uh, the Baseball Prospectus Annual. It's shipping out. It's shipping right now. Essays on every team, projections and cap, you know, captions and, and blurbs on on over 2000 players at an average of around 65 per team. Uh, we there's our top 100 uh, 101 prospect lists. Uh, we have all sorts of stuff in there. It's 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 really packed with a lot of goodies. So check it out if you get a chance. All right, Craig, you made me feel better. I love you a little bit more now after this conversation. And thank you again for coming on. Appreciate it, man. Thanks. This is the Fly the W670 podcast. It's episode number 13 of season two. Wilson Contreras turns heel. Don't forget. To listen, download, review, subscribe to the Fly the W podcast. And uh, Crowley pitchers and catchers reported on Wednesday. Position players are due on Monday. A lot of the guys are already at camp. And let's talk about uh, some of the news that's been coming out of Sloan Park. And there has been plenty already in a week. Oh, pitchers and catchers on Monday. or uh, Yeah, and on Wednesday. And position players. I'm so excited, Dustin. Uh, you know, just getting closer to my trip out to Mesa. Um but yesterday, Cubs manager David Ross said Hayden Wazinski, Javier Assad, Adrian Sampson, and some of the non-roster invitee candidates are in the mix for the fifth starter spot. Right now, Keegan Thompson and Adbert Alzelay are viewed as part of the bullpen. So we get a little clarity now. I'm all for I'm all for that. I'm all for Hayden being uh, nasty in the rotation, and uh, I think Keegan and uh, Alzali make sense of the bullpen. I have no, I have no, I have no problem with that whatsoever. I'd be shocked if it was Assad or Adrian Sampson uh, beating out Hayden. Maybe Adrian, but I'd be shocked. I think Hayden's going to have a big year. Um, you know, just because this is how it breaks as the fifth starter doesn't mean it, it's final, right? So if it is Adrian, Adrian Sampson had a really good season last year, yes. and, yes, and I, I'm very curious to see if he can build upon it. When you talk about the younger guys, Hayden Wesniski and Javier Assad, especially Javier Assad, uh, the issue with those guys tends to be walks, right? And that's that's the thing with young guys is occasionally, you know, lose a little bit of control. So obviously when you talk about who's the guy who has the highest ceiling of the three, clearly Hayden Wesniski, right? When you talk about the guy that may be most ready on day five to take that ball on that fifth start, the, to me, I'm thinking it might be Adrian Sampson, but I, I think we still have to see. I don't think there's going to be a non-roster invitee candidate getting it. And uh, we saw how good Keegan was out of the bullpen. That's what he did to start the season until injuries kind of forced him into the rotation. And and I had mentioned Adbert before, um, you know, as a potential closer candidate. I think he might have the stuff. Right now, they'll probably try to get two or three innings out of him. But I, I'm just curious, you know, you know, right now Michael Fulmer's deal is official one year, uh, one year deal. So it looks like he's probably the has the inside edge on that closer job. But I just I'm just going to keep my head always looking at Albert Alzali and seeing if maybe he could potentially fit, groom into that role someday. You know what I mean? Yeah, he could he could groom into it, no doubt about that. Um, Tommy Hadovy was on with Mully and Haw. Uh, Tuesday of last week, and he's hoping that uh, one of these guys in the bullpen just takes that closer job. That you know he feels comfortable with a, a, a number of different guys in that role, but he's hoping that one of the guys just grabs it and takes it and makes it his own spot. Yeah, I, I love. I mean, Michael Fulmer's been there, done that. You know what I mean? You want to have that experience. Boxberger the same. Um, and Brandon Hughes is a kid that we saw just last year w- w- was really, really good. Yep. And, and, then, and then, like I said, Adbert's just the wild card in that mix. But, you know, w- we'll see what happens, you know, because, I mean, think about it. How many multi- multi-inning guys do you need? I wonder, like, hypothetically, if Javier or, or Hayden don't make that fifth roster spot, do they keep them as kind of like long relievers? Or would you say put Hayden down to Iowa so he gets starts? Yeah. Now the move, the next move we're going to talk about, Edwin Rios. This one is a, a little bit of a head scratcher to me right now. <laughs> yeah, because we need more competition for third base, right? Right. Um, That's what I mean. I mean, you know, first base looks like. I mean, they're they're pretty set at first base. You know, uh, third base. I, I thought they were okay, or you know, but th- this makes me feel like they're not okay, and they're they're concerned. Well, so here's the thing about Edwin Rios, right? He's a first baseman, third baseman, comes from the Dodgers system. And, and you know how it is with those young guys at the Dodgers is that it's really tough to crack through that lineup, right? 
like you're just you weren't going to displace you know some of the guys that they have there so it's blocking a lot of young talented guys right so the thing about edwin reels is there's a couple things that they like about him number one he's controllable for three seasons right so you don't have, you know, he's, you know, you have that advantage. Okay. Is that he's three years away from free agency. He's under your team control. No big deal. The other thing is that he also has one minor league option left. Okay. And so if they want to send him to the minors, they can absolutely do that. Now they can't do it a second time because he doesn't have the options. That means other teams can poach him. Um, but having that option is a big deal. When a player doesn't have that option, then you risk another team taking them if you send them to the minors or try to send them to the minors. The thing they like about him and the things that the Cubs are lacking is, is he's got power, major power, right? 492 slugging percentage. Problems, he's got a lot of whiffs to go along with that. 32% K rate, that's not going to play. So, um, you know, whether they think that maybe they can work with him and kind of fix some of the holes in his swing, I don't know. But the hot corner is getting crowded. You got Patrick Wisdom, Christopher Morrell, Nick Magical, Zach McKinstry, and Miles Masturbani all in the mix for that third base spot. It's a lot of guys, a lot of bodies. Um... Now, <laughs> I mean, a couple of those guys, I mean, obviously, you know, probably, I mean, Wisdom is going to be your starting third baseman that I'm looking at. Magical is the one that we keep scratching our head with. I had the interview last, uh, the last episode with, um, with our friends, John Antonoff and Rich Biesterfeld and Rich said, you know, it looked like the arm was fine. It wasn't obviously, you know, he wasn't some all-star caliber arm, but he was fine there. Um, McKinstry and Master Buani, those are guys that can definitely be decent bench players, but third base is where you really, like I said, I'm going to be very curious to see what Rios does, um, how wisdom's going to do and, and, you know, is it beneficial of Morel to, you know, to constantly be on a bench? Because I don't know. It's not like last year where you could have plugged and played him every different spot. You know what I mean? Whether it was second or short to give um, to give uh, Nico a day off or center field where he was used a lot. You know, there's a lot of places you could use him. I just don't feel like that really is an option that much this year. And so does it benefit Christopher Morel to just sit on the bench, you know, playing one day a week? I, I don't think so. I, I don't, and I don't think they're in the need of having him sub in every day and, and moving around, moving around the diamond either, right? I mean, that that doesn't make a lot of sense, and it, it will stunt his development if you don't get him out, get him at bats. Right, and and that's the thing you see is then all of a sudden when they actually do get at bats, a they're they're not used to it, and b they're they're pressing to try to make an impression, and that's not that great. Um, the good news about the Rio signing is that they did not have to move anyone from the 40-man roster. Um, what ends up happening now is that when the season ends, the players on that were on the IL have to go on your 40-man roster. And then once the, the pitchers and catchers start, then the IL opens up again. So Ethan Roberts, who made the team last year but had Tommy John surgery, he's not going to be ready for a while. So he got moved to the 60-day IL, which allowed um, – the Cubs not have to make any any moves to eliminate somebody off the 40-man roster. So that was good. And talking about injury updates, Kyle Hendricks talked to the beat reporters and said he would throw a touch-and-feel bullpen session this coming Friday. So it's going to be his first time on the mound since his injury, which, if I remember correctly, was like late June, early July. It, it, that is when I remember last seeing Kyle but he said he estimates he's about a month behind his normal schedule. Does that sound about right to you, Dustin? Sounds about right. And uh, Tommy Hadovy basically said the same thing, kind of convert, confirmed what he's saying. He, he definitely um, will not be on the opening day roster. But the good news is, is that they have all this depth right now, so they don't have to rush him. Right. But, but let's say hypothetically, okay, he hasn't thrown off a mound, right? Uh, I doubt that Kyle Hendricks has ever said that on you know february 19th before right no. that he hasn't thrown off a mound since since you know in like six seven months and so i guess for me the way i'm looking at this he hasn't thrown out the mound this is gonna be a touch and feel session so he wants to see how he feels right you don't know if he feels something weird something twitchy we don't know that right then he's gonna have to throw some more bullpens then he's gonna have to build the arm up i mean i just don't see how that's a month behind schedule i, I, I don't see how he plays a game prior to the all-star break. I really don't. Wow. Prior to the all-star break. Well, that wouldn't be, that would not be very good news for well, let, 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 anybody. Let's think, 
Okay, so so if he's a month behind and he can't start in April, that makes it May, right? Yeah. So yeah. now you're in May. You're not going to sit there and just put him in the majors, right? You're going to have to give him some minor league starts, right? He'll need a few. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So so let's push him to June. I mean, now, now you're starting to, and that's that's assuming everything goes right, and we don't know, and that's the scary thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now, I guess, you know, I mean, he is, you know, but he is, I mean, part, what do you think though, Crawley about like his professionalism? Like how much do you think that, you know, that helps him? I mean, I think it helps him a ton. I think he's, he's way more competitive than people give him credit for. I'm just, when, when you're coming off an injury like this and you've had this much time off, I'm just not sure how it's all going to look. That's all. I think, you know, it's not like you just kind of just snap back into it. It takes a little bit of time to build that up. I mean, so, you know, we'll see. If, if there's anyone that can do it, it's Kyle. But, you know, he's a guy that's been relatively healthy most of his career. And like you said, he has professionalism. He's going to do the work that's expected of him to rehab and get better. I just, I mean, to tell me that he's going to be back in early May and he hasn't thrown a baseball off a mound since June, that's that would be mighty impressive to me. I don't know. Yeah, I guess that's one of those ones TBD. We'll have to wait and see, and that's the the, the beauty of this, right? It's, it gives us another another thing to talk about. But the good news is, is that he, you know, the Cubs do have depth at that position. All right, how about uh, how about another young Cub, right? Uh, Brennan Davis. Uh, he uh, definitely has uh, some confidence. Yeah, Brennan Davis. The thing about him, though, is that with that injury last year, that nerve injury, it's it's the expectation prior to last season, right? We all knew that Jason Hayward was going to go bye-bye in the last year of his deal. They signed Seiya Suzuki, and so ideally in all our heads, we predicted Seiya would play right, Hay would play center, Brennan Davis would make his way up, he'd learn the ropes from Jay Hay, and then Jay Hay would get cut. That's how it was supposed to play out. But now with uh, Brennan's injury and going out and getting a guy like Cody Bellinger, that that door isn't as wide open as it was before that before the 2022 season. Before the 2022 season, the plan was just to move him in. Now, Brennan's going to have to prove it. Now, Brennan is here's the video clip of Brennan. He sounds confident, and I don't expect any less of him. Here's what Brennan had to say. I mean, I'm not out here not to make a team. Like I'm, I'm out here to compete and. Make give them a tough, a tough, a tough, <laughs> a tough choice to make at the end of spring, and that's all I can do. And I know when my time is called, I'm going to be ready, whether that's now or in a month or in two months or whenever. I'm going to be, I'm going to do whatever I can to be the best version of myself. Does the best version of yourself look like? It's pretty good. <laughs> I got good. I like it. I like the confidence. I like the confidence. You know, what's the best version of yourself? Pretty good. (laughs) Here's like I said, Brennan is not, you know, what he just said, he's not out there, you know, just to, just to say hi to all the players and, and just happy to be there. He's not just happy to be there. His goal is to make the team. And that's what you like to see. And, and I got to spend a little bit of time with Brennan uh, through some of the club 400 events. He came out uh, to the, the Christmas party that we had and, and we went out to dinner the night before He's a great kid and he's got a lot of leadership qualities and, you know, and a lot of intangibles that aren't on the stat sheet. That being said, he is going to have to prove it because now there's more players. You know, you got Pete Crow Armstrong in the mix. You got Cody Bellinger in the mix. You know, you didn't know PCA was going to have the year he did last year. That was, you know, that was very surprising. If the Mets knew PCA was going to play like he did last year, they would have traded him for a few months of Javi Baez. No, so, no, they would not have. No. So that that's the question. And then you got Cody Bellinger. So it's going to make it tougher. But if anyone can do it, it's Brennan Davis. I have absolute confidence in that. All right. So Brennan Davis is going to make it tough for the Cubs. That's what he's that's what he's telling. Tough for the Cubs when it comes to making some cuts. Um, another couple of players that want to make it tough on the Cubs and Jed Hoyer specifically are. Uh, uh, Ian Happ, right? And uh, our new uh, second baseman that you and I both have high hopes for. Yeah, so remember when we talked, Dustin, that uh, Jed Hoyer was on uh, the New York Post podcast. Uh, I think it's called The Show. And um, he was on there and he was talking about kind of regrets he had from the previous core. And and one of the big issues he had that he really was – beat himself up for is they said that they let the negotiations with Rizzo that last season go too deep into spring training. It affected his um, preparation and kind of maybe your headspace, I guess would probably be the best way to put it. 
Um, and, and when he was on the podcast, he said, I don't want to do that again. I want to get these things done before spring training. Right. Well, you know, he wasn't very specific about when that is right. And that's what you and I talked about, Dustin is okay. Does that mean spring training starts and negotiations get shut down? Because those are the negotiate, the extensions you're looking at is with Ian Happ and Nico Horner. And so, you know, Jed made it a little bit more clear. He held a press conference with the beat writers and he kind of explained what specifically he meant about it. said multiple times that you prefer not to talk extensions during spring training. Does that mean that spring training starts today? Is that a hard line thing, no extensions? No, definitely not a hard line thing. You know, we have had discussions, and I'll stick with what we always do, which is not talk about where we are with them. But um, we've had good dialogue with 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 both sides. Um, we're not going to cut it off because we're we're here today. Um, you know, my, like like I said, my my preference is really not to get into the the end towards the end of spring training and get to a place where um, I feel like it's affecting the preparation and mentality I would say for the the season and I, I do think that has happened I've seen that happen before so that's something we'll be aware of and we've you know talked to both you know camps about that but um, the, like I said the conversations are good we're not going to set some kind of firm deadline so there's been positive momentum um, yeah there's po- definitely positive conversations for sure yeah Positive right, conversations so. for sure. That's all you can hope, right? That that's as a Cub fan, um, you like the fact that they're talking. You like the fact that it's uh, positive conversations. I mean, I guess it would have been big news had he said, you know, it's been really rough. Negotiations are going really sideways. I don't know if we can get this done. That would have been much bigger news. Uh, I, I mean, what we got from uh, Jed is about what I expected we would get from Jed. But again, you know, listen, as long as it doesn't become a distraction. Because you know that if either one of these guys starts off not the way we all hope, that that's going to be, you know, one of the perceived reasons is because they have the extensions hanging over their heads. Right. And again, that, you know, as far as it goes, there's no deadline like pitchers and catchers report or position players report or anything like that. But, you know, once it gets kind of closer to spring training ending, maybe that last week and a half, two weeks, Maybe at that point, if they're not close, they they, they just kind of table the talks, you know. And, and right, I think once the season starts, Crowley, I think they will table the talks, and I think they will. I think all parties will come out and say, now that the season has begun, we're not talking about it anymore. I think we'll hear I, that from all sides. I, I think I think it's going to happen before then. I think it's going to happen. Like I said, if it's if if they don't feel like they're right on the verge of something then they're not going to continue that last week and a half of spring training and let those guys kind of clear their heads and, and refocus and reset. Cause obviously that's going to be on their minds. You can't, Absolutely. it can't not be it. So I, I think that if you, if, if that was the issue with Rizzo is they waited until opening day to kind of say, okay, we're done. And then those are Rizzo's first comments to the press when he comes back to Chicago is about not getting extension done and they don't want that. So you know what? Extension's not done about week and a half, you know, before, spring training ends, well, now you get those conversations out of the way, right? You get the, the, the questions out of the way prior to heading back to Chicago and starting the season. Well, Crowley, that's a wrap. Season 2, Episode 13, Wilkinson Contreras Turns Heel is now in the books. Later on in the week, we will have Episode number 14. But before we let you guys go, don't forget, want to remind you to listen as you already are, download, review, and please subscribe to the Fly the W Podcast. And news is fat, flying fast and furious, so don't forget to subscribe to the socials. Fly the W670 on Twitter and Instagram. Fly the W on Facebook. And you can email us at flythew670 at gmail.com. And go, Cubs. It's all over.